This is The Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to The Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the west side of Oahu. Um, I am about to interview Father Frank Pavone. Father Frank Pavone is the founder of Priests for Life. And we're going to be talking about our dear friend, Norma McCorvey. Norma McCorvey was the Roe of Roe versus Wade. As a young woman, she was used by the abortion industry. And you know the rest of the story. You know the case that bears her name. Later in life, she became pro-life. She became a Christian. And now there's a documentary coming out saying the whole thing was a farce and a fraud. Norma faked her conversion to Christianity, and she faked her pro-life convictions. And I can tell you, when I heard that she said this, my first thought was to chuckle and say, I'm sure she said it. And my second thought was, how sorrowful that they would misrepresent this beautiful, complex, and transparent woman in death. And so no better person, there was no better person that I could think of that I would want to interview on Norma McCorvey than Father Frank Pavone. He was her spiritual director, and he was her close friend. And I want people to know the whole Norma, the whole beautiful Norma. And here is my attempt to share with you a little bit about my friend, Norma McCorvey. And this episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, promoting a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film, and the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the child in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. And for any donation over $20, you get a free copy of my book, The Race to Save Our Century, that I wrote with the one, the only, John Zmirak. My interview with Father Frank Pavone and my friend, Norma McCorvey. Aloha, Father Frank Pavone. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Well, Jason, it's great to be with you again, and uh, just thanks for having me on today on such an important topic. No, well, Father, I thank you for making time for me because you're probably one of the most sought-after men in America today for media. So uh, you were the first person I thought of, Father Frank, because a mutual friend of ours and someone who you were very close to, and I don't know if anyone in the world was closer to Norma McCorvey than you were, but yesterday I was in the middle of my work day and then my phone just lit up as I'm sure as I'm sure your phone lit up with all these people asking is it possibly true uh, that Norma McCorvey used us and did we use her and I was getting all of these questions and I thought what what is it where is this coming from and then I saw the trailer for this movie that's going to appear on TV and tomorrow and uh, and uh, you know from where I was father of course, Norma didn't use us, and I could believe she said the things she said. So can we talk about that? Who, who was Norma McCorvey? How did you meet her? And, uh, you know, no one, I think, knew her better than you did. Definitely not these documentaries. Yeah, we were very close. No, that, well, and that's been one of my main points during these days, you know, is that Norma, and I, and I think you can say this for all of us, you know, you don't know a person from an interview, uh, or especially swooping in, you know, at the end of her life. And, uh, you know, people are not snapshots. People are on a journey. 
Norma was on a very intense uh, and complex journey. And some of us walked that journey with her. Uh, as you say, I was, uh, well, I was friends with her for a good uh, 22 years um, from the day she was baptized in 1995 and became uh, pro-life publicly until, uh, until the day she died. Uh, and we conversed on that very day as well. And uh, a long journey, but, um, you know, people, it, what's amazing to me now with this documentary that's about to come out, which I have not seen, um, what's amazing is that how people can just take hook, line, and sinker what people are saying about this documentary and sort of act and speak as if those of us who actually made the journey with her I, I, I don't know what we're talking about. It's, 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 it's those who are who are who are making these assertions that she lied or she didn't play, put on an act who don't know what they're talking about. Norma was a a uh, a very simple straightforward woman uh from Dallas, Texas who got involved in this big abortion case Roe v Wade because she wanted a pizza. I mean, that's how it started and uh these attorneys were looking for uh, an abortion case to change the law. And Norma was looking for help with her third pregnancy. She didn't know how she was going to take care of a, another child. She had already had two children. Her life was, uh, you know, out of control. And um, and these attorneys invited her to have lunch at, at a local pizza parlor. And uh, she didn't understand all the ins and outs of what they were trying to do. She just knew she wanted help, and they were saying they could help her. Put her name on an affidavit, and that became the, the plaintiff in the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case. Now, Norma, <clears throat> she ended up having the baby. She placed the baby for adoption. And um, and then she, you know, she, 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 again, didn't understand the implications of this case. It got decided several years later. And, 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 and you know, she was like uh, telling people uh, close to her, oh, I'm the Roe of Roe v. Wade. And they said, yeah, right. You know, I'm the, and I'm the queen of England. You know, they didn't believe her. And, um, Eventually, of course, it became public who she was. But even then, you know, there's a fascinating story, uh, Jason, that uh, I'm sure you read, uh, you know, in Norma's own book um, about her, her, her journey. She says that on the day that it was announced that she was the Roe of Roe v. Wade, this was a big pro-abortion press conference out in California and uh, organized by Gloria Allred from California. And the night before this press conference, she turns to Gloria and she says, you know, Gloria, I think abortion is wrong. So here you have the Jane Roe Roe Wade being unveiled in this big pro-abortion conference, and meanwhile she's telling me she thinks abortion is wrong. And, and, and she eventually worked in some abortion facilities as well, and when she was working inside the abortion industry, she was persuading women who came there for their appointments not to have the procedure. Because he was saying to them, oh, do you know, do you know what they're doing to your baby? And, and no, no, I don't know. And let me tell you, you know, she had, as you know, a very uh, blunt, straightforward transparency. She said what she thought and what she meant, even if it was going to get people mad, which, of course, adds to the absurdity of the assertion. There are many reasons exactly. it's absurd. It adds to the absurdity that oh she made this all up. You know who you're trying to kid. Well, father, you know what? If I if I were to I try to explain people to her, and I say all I can say is she's cool. Like she was complex as we all are, but she was transparent. So she was she the was. least deceptive person you could know. She she 
her right. her complexity was there for the world to see. And if she was mad at you or disappointed in the movement or a person, there was no affectation. It just, you know, to me, she's like James Dean. Like that's when I think of Norma, I just think of this very complex, transparent, cool, beautiful person who the weight of the world fell on when she was a very young woman. And, um, she had to carry that her whole life. And then, and then, so it's so heartbreaking to see now not to not speak ill of the dead to me seems to be the most basic rule of human decency. Yes. Good point. That's right. And, and, you know, we, we, Norma was, was someone who at so many different points of her life, she found herself needing to take a very serious leap of faith, you know, and there were a few key moments in that one of course was with, Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey, the attorneys uh, uh, who who started the Roe v. Wade case. And another was when, as she was working in the abortion facility, to her horror and surprise, our friend Flip Benham and the group Operation Rescue moved in right next door. The two offices shared a wall. And um, she was, she was uh, again, because of her just transparency and and sincerity, you know, she listened when Reverend Flip one day came over and apologized to her. He said, you know, I've said some bad things about you and I just want you to know it's not it's not personal. And and, you know, and she and she listened and, and then they invited her to come to church. A little girl actually invited her and she came to church. And when she's sitting there in church, the pastor said, uh, you know, I want to call people up who want to meet Jesus, who want to take Jesus and believe in him as their Lord and Savior. And Norma's sitting there and she felt this attraction to go up there for the altar call you know so she's sitting there and she's thinking to herself uh well you know i could get up right now i feel like i should but if i get up and go up there jesus better be there when i get there you know and that was her you know you could just hear her saying that right this was her and she took that leap of faith and then there was another leap of faith that she took when she came to me some years later we met once she was baptized and and, and then she had an interest in the Catholic Church because her mom was Catholic and used to take her to Mass when she was a very little girl. But she explained, you know, we're not, you know, you're not yet a member of the Church. Or you can't receive communion yet. But Norma really had a sense of peace when she was at Mass. So when I started uh, traveling with Priests for Life and I was giving pro-life Masses there in Dallas where she lived and she would come to the Mass, she started asking me about the Catholic faith. And then she she came to the conclusion that she wanted to to fully join the Catholic faith, and that was another great step of, of of faith for her. So she was always growing; she was always seeking to grow. And um, you know, you and I and others in the pro life uh, leadership got to know her, and she made that she made that journey. And you don't go through the things she went through uh, and fake them. You you can't because we were with her. In the public moments and the private moments, in the happy moments and the sad moments, we saw the tears in the quiet of the of the night and and in the privacy of her home, and the nightmares and 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 the and the struggles and the praying and you know how do I deal with this this wound, this burden of having been the row of Roly Wave? She, um, you know, fake this stuff, you know, for 22 years, and you actually make this journey. Well, you know, Father, and you and and I. Anyone that's in any public way in the pro-life movement, 
gets called all sorts of horrible things. And, but we have no idea of what it was like to be normal. No one, really no one alive today could under, begin to empathize. There wasn't like a peer group. She couldn't go to a support group where there were 15 other people who were associated with divisive Supreme Court decisions and say, oh, you right. know, that you could talk to them about, right? So I think all of her friends, we all understood that we didn't understand. And I'm hoping that this documentary, they're just being salacious to, to get people to watch it. And, and at the end of the day, I hope it's very fair. Um, yeah. you, you know, I, I don't know, though. I hope that it's not ignoble and disgraceful and shameful to the names of the producers on that film. Father, when you think of well, Norm... Well, you know, I want to... Oh, go ahead, Father. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, when I try to look at someone's life as a writer, as a filmmaker, I always sort of put it in the structure of the monomyth. So I look at, you know, the, the ordinary world and the call to adventure and then the, who the mentors are and who their, where their battles were. When I look at Norma's life, it's really hard to know where her call to adventure began. What was the inciting incident in Norma's life? What would you say that it was, Father? You know, was it the abuse as a young girl? Was it being lured into being associated with Roe v. Wade? Was it her baptism? Where, where What was Norma's yeah. ordinary world? And then what... Let, let put her out into an adventure to become who she yeah, is. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of moments like that for her. She she was bruised by life, and uh, whether it was uh, drugs or the you know inappropriate lifestyle or just coming up against reality time after time again, uh, she learned. The, she's one of these people. She really learned the hard way what the right road in life was, and. Um, but, you know, actually, working in the abortion industry was one of those key moments because the, what, what astonished her was this. She was, of course, she found herself in the midst of this big public case and that she wasn't looking for. But then, you know, she said, okay, well, let me try to make a life of this. Let me be involved in, I'm helping women, and, and, you know, I needed help once, so let me try to help these other women. And here was a major turning point when she was just being her normal, transparent, blunt self, caring and kind, as you say, as well, talking to these women that were going in there to have their abortions. And she would say... You know, do you do you know what what this abortion procedure really is? And when they said they didn't, and she would start explaining it to them, she thought this was the most logical thing in the world. We're on the side of women. We're caring for women's health, and and we respect their choices. So she's making this choice. Let me tell her what the choice is, right? So then, what what here's what surprised her that she got in trouble for that. She got reprimanded for that, and she said to the to the people who ran the clinic, "Well, what what are we really here for? Are are we here to help these women or not?" That was a key turning point when she began to realize, you know, I've gotten myself involved here in something that I didn't know what this was. Because meanwhile, all around her, she sees this big controversy. Uh, brewing and 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 I mean it wasn't even brewing it was in full force and Operation Rescue and the protests and 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 she said well, wait a second maybe there's something to the you know what these pro life people are uh, are are saying another key trigger 
uh, for adventure was when Flip Flip's apology, Reverend Flip Benham walks up to her one day. Now, she knows, you know, in her mind, he's the enemy. In his mind, she's the enemy. We've got this big national divisive issue, and these are two key spokespersons for the opposite side. And now they're together in the same place and face-to-face, and she expects, you know, something negative to happen. He's going to reject me. He's going to reprimand me again. You know, this is going to be bad. He walks over and he apologizes to her. He treats her with respect. He says, look, you know, obviously we oppose abortion, but to say it in other words, this is the way I like to say it, we who oppose abortion do not oppose those who have abortions or who support abortion. Um, they are not the enemy. They are captive to the enemy. By, by apologizing to her, by showing to her his respect for her life and her person, that was a revelation to her about what the pro-life message is all about. And that, that is what opened the door then to her saying, you know, well, when these people invite me to come to church, maybe I should take them up on the offer. You know, because these seem to be good people. And, um, and, 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 and that started a big, big, big journey for her, which, of course, uh, has led to the things we're talking about today. Yeah, so, Father, I always find that the best response to a half-truth is the whole truth, right? So you don't try to bury the half-truth. You just fill in what's missing. And so I think there is a bit of truth, right? And, and there will be a bit of truth in this documentary. And uh, Do you think that, what was some of Norma's disappointments with the pro-life movement or um, what were some of the struggles yeah. that, I know you were her confessor, you, you have to be thoughtful in how you share, but what, were, what are some of the, you know, I know she shared things with me uh, and a lot of folks, like yeah. some of her disappointments. And then there was one event where I was at with her 2008 and it was after that event I thought I'm never asking Norma to speak again I'm just going to love her and care for her I think she needs to be tended to what were some of her disappointments and what were maybe some of the truths what's what's the half truth in this documentary that um what's the rest of the story for the half truth that they're going to tell right Norma did get frustrated uh with uh with people in the uh in the pro-life movement just like she had gotten frustrated with people in the pro-choice movement uh you know, she didn't like insincerity and she didn't like people who did not follow through on what they promised or what they said. Now, in particular, with pro-lifers, in fact, this is very interesting because let me set a context here for the actual days when this documentary was being filmed. Because more Norma was, was telling me about it. She said, oh, this guy came from Australia. He was in New York and now he's here filming me, she said. And I, have, I still have the texts on my phone. I was looking at them again. Oh, praise Jesus. Today. I'm so glad you have those texts, Father. Okay. Oh, great. I sure do. Oh, I sure thank do. God. And here's, and here's what she said. So on May the 5th of 2016, she says to me, Father, she says this, um, this guy is here and um, is uh, filming me. He's from Australia. And that's that very now, this, this is interesting. That very same day, she sends me another text. And she says, Father, I am so frustrated because I've been reaching out to a couple of pro-life people, you know, who are, are you see, her, she was always in, um, and sometimes of her life more than others, she was, her, her finances were never, were never stable. Okay, so she, you know, we knew we had to help her in some fashion. She was living sometimes very close to destitution. And so, um, 
she was saying, no, Father, the, the, the pro-life people, you know, they, 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 do, they do love me and, and they try to treat me well. But, you know, I'm trying to communicate with some people here and, and, and they're not getting back to me. And, and, and I don't know why. Now, she was in transition. And she was at this point in her life getting into assisted living facilities. But this was in May of 2016 that this taping began. So first point is when you see her on this documentary, as you saw the little uh, uh, clip in the trailer, she was they, she was not on her deathbed. She, she, she's, when she kind of jokingly says, oh, yeah, this is my deathbed confession, she was nowhere near her deathbed. This was in May of 2016. She didn't die till February of 2017. She was uh, she looked a whole lot better and sounded a whole lot better in that little clip than than she did in the final uh, final months and weeks of her life. Um, but she said to me that day, first of all, I'm very frustrated with some of these pro-life people. And then, as you know, she would get into these into these rants and, and she would say something like, you know, well, I, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I, I'm not part of you people anymore. And I literally have the text on that very same day that she was taping this documentary. I'm not part of you people anymore. And we took it in stride because we knew her. And this is the difference between. By the way, Father, how many times a week do you? How many times a week do you say that? <laughs> I just said that to someone yeah, right. a couple of days ago. I'm not you people. Hey, yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. I mean, we get frustrated. So right. and so, she, she texts me this, and we all knew. Yeah, hey, you know what? You know, tomorrow she's going to say, "Hey, Father, I'm sorry, I was in a bad mood yesterday." And we, it's only when you journey with her for a couple of decades that you get to know. You know where does she really <laughs> land? What, what represents her really core position? Right? right. Exactly. But here's what she here's what she also said uh, during those those days that she was doing the taping. She said to me in another text, "You know, this guy from New York that came from Australia, I'm charging him." And she said, and so he, so in the end of this filming, he's, I'm going to have some money as a result. And that makes me very happy. So I find it ironic yeah. that the, the makers of this documentary are saying, oh, those pro-life people, those evangelicals, you know, they paid her. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You paid her. So, uh, you know, this, this is, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot more of the story to tell. Here's my challenge to uh, to Nick, by the way, Sweeney, who made this documentary. I have a simple challenge for him. Tell us the full story. Yes. Number one, show us all the unedited footage. Unedited. And number two, tell us about all the conversations that happened before you 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 got her to agree to this project. What did you tell her? What did she tell you? What conditions did she set? What conditions did you set? What did you ask her? What was the whole idea here? And you see, the thing that Nick doesn't know is the rest of the story. It's not, nobody should say, oh, well, this is the, you know, they, using this phrase, deathbed confession, makes it sound like this is the final word about Norma. No, we know the final word about Norma, because long after Nick went off to go do his editing, you know, we were still with her. And we journeyed with her all the rest of the way, right up until the day she died. And as you know, I did her funeral. And uh, she, we knew the rest of the story. We knew who she was and what she believed and what she, what she meant. And you know, nobody can come along and try to steal that from either from her or from her or from her movie. No, and you know, I remember having so many conversations with her frustrated. One time in particular, she was particular. She was in a bad place financially. Oh, but the big story was that she got made $500,000 from the pro-life movement. This was over, what, 22 years? So you're the biggest fish for the, our movement to catch. And so if you do that, 
you're going to make less than a fry cook at McDonald's. That's basically the story uh, there. I'm thinking this is, you know, $500,000 over 22 years. This is the big payoff that she got from the pro-life movement. And I I remember when she – oh, I'm sorry, Father. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I've been frustrated with the movement. I remember after, you know, she called me. She was struggling, and I just run an apostolate. I don't have a big salary. And I did go to some donors and – big donors I knew, and I asked them to, um, and I, I was dejected. I was trying to convince them to get a house for her or something, not in a quid pro quo, or an, and it never happened, and I was frustrated with the donors. They're like, well, what is she going to do? But that's just how donors are. You know, I thought we just needed to tend to her, and so many people like you and so many others did. The relationship Norma had in the pro-life movement, it's, at least as far as I could see, was a, one of friendship. Just people loved her, and cared for her. I never saw any sort of quid pro quo. When I worked for Governor Brown or Ambassador Brown back when he was running for president, um, she reached out to us and said she'd like to endorse him. There was no payment for that. She called us, was very eager to help. And when I saw the story break yesterday and then there was a fury of activity and statements, I thought of the judgment of Solomon with the two women fighting over the child. And I'm not willing to cut Norma McCorvey in half. You know, mm-hmm. there's that they, they can have the whole Norma McCorvey because there's a whole complex, beautiful person there. But I think it's interesting and almost poetic that you see the abortion industry come in in her vulnerable early years and take advantage of her. And then they swoop yeah. in after she has died and again try to take advantage of her. And I think that's the difference between our two movements. Solidarity with the suffering in their life. Sharing their burdens in their life. And then coming to take advantage of them when they're weak. Instead of, that's the abortion industry. Where we were sharing their burden when they're vulnerable. I remember she called me once when things were not good for the Jones family. And she said she needed money for a bill or something. And I talked to my wife. It was very painful. And we sent a little bit. There was no, it was normal my friend needs help. When I, I need help, I call my friends. That's what friends do. And we're really a movement that's nothing but friends. It's just this big, beautiful, charmed community of friends. And Norma's our friend. And so when we see this documentary, we're seeing our friend taken advantage of. And it's really heartbreaking. It's just really one of the most shocking. When I read about this film yesterday, it was one of the most sorrowful, shocking. And I really felt, is bad for the Sweeney character and just thought, how ignoble have we become as a people? That's right. I was thinking the same thing. The same thing. And you know, you know what it's like? It's like if, you know, any of us have a best friend or a, or a sibling or even a parent, let's say that a few years after they, they, they pass away and somebody comes by and says, Hey, I got videotape of, you know, your best friend and you was, he was putting on an act all his life. We would say, who the heck do you think you are? You know, you didn't walk with this person all their life. You don't know. We know better. And, um, you know, it, 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 that's, it's offensive, you know, because they're trying to steal someone's reputation. And, uh, you know, what do they gain out of this? Well, the pro-abortion movement has a lot to gain out of that. You know, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it takes away one of the, one of the biggest um, blows to, to the message of, of Roe v. Wade is, is that the Roe became pro-life. So uh, obviously it's to their disadvantage to, to take it away. Um, but the point is, you know, what would it be to Norma's advantage 
you know, to make all this stuff up. You can't. You can't live through it. You're, anybody can make up a story, of course. But you can't live through what she lived through. You know, one of the big aspects of her journey here that we should mention, too, is the healing part. Because um, uh, Rachel's Vineyard, as you know, is the, is the largest ministry in the world for healing the wounds of abortion. So moms who have had abortions go through it, dads, even siblings, other family members. But you don't need to have had an abortion to grieve an aborted child. So grieving the child is what the Rachel's Vineyard process is all about. And so Norma went through that with me. I was in that retreat with her. Janet was. And, and of course, Dr. Teresa Burke, who, who, who founded the, the program. She's a psychologist. And um, that was a big turning point for Norma because she oh, it was very dramatic. You know, she, I mean, she had faced up to what she, she did. But at Rachel's Vineyard, that's a no-nonsense program where you really face what you did. I mean, it's it's really brutal. And Norma went through it willingly, but she really um, uh, felt the full weight of what she did and really took hold of God's grace at that moment. And, you know, these retreats are not, you know, uh, magical uh, moments, but they are moments of insight. They are moments of courage. They are turning points. And uh, again, this was part of what she sought every day—the healing uh, from this wound of uh, this wound of abortion. So, people, I think, when they're going to look at this or they're talking about this documentary, they're going to see it. You know, we can't think of this just in terms of, oh, well, I took a, a, a conceptual or a political position on an issue, and then I changed my mind on the issue. People might end up thinking of it in just those binary terms. And just those abstract terms and say, oh, well, you know, anybody can lie. I mean, politicians lie and, you know, anybody can lie and say, oh, I believe this when they really don't believe it. But you don't make an intense journey with the tears and the grief and the nightmares and the counselors and the clergy and the mental health professionals and the, the retreats and the prayer and the striving and the repentance and the effort every day for 22 years. You don't do that on some kind of a farce, you know, and so this is something where the, the healing was very, very real, very, very much of a struggle, and uh, it was a dramatic journey, uh, and Norma did it bravely, she, she really did, and we were privileged all because. You know what she said to me, Father, once, you know, totally unsolicited, we really didn't know each other at the time, we had just met a few times at this point, and she said, Jason, if you are responsible for one abortion. If you think you are responsible for that one abortion, what you're saying to me, I'm going to cry just saying it, but she said, if you really think that, then what you're telling me is you think I'm responsible for every abortion. Do you think that's true? I said, no. Then she said, well, then, you know, don't blame yourself for that abortion. You didn't consent to it. And because I had said to her, she was used, she was manipulated, she was young. But I had said something in a talk where I had felt responsible for my abortion. And she said, well, if you're going to blame yourself for that abortion, then you're blaming me for Roe v. Wade. Why would she say that? Like, it doesn't even make sense when you know her as a friend. But how is this, Father? When I heard that she said what she said in the interview, whether it was taken out of context or not, at the same time, anyone who was her friend, you smiled and thought, yeah, probably, right? It wasn't out of her character. That's normal. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't out, out of, of her character, character at all. So we're like, of course she said that. No. It's not shocking at all. No, and that's, 
that, 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 that's right. And that's why our challenge really needs to be, you summarized it well earlier in, the, in our conversation, to say, listen, you know, the best way to deal with a half-truth is to tell the whole truth. And I think we have to challenge uh, any of the supporters of this documentary and the people who made it and the people who promote it and the people who think that it vindicates the pro-choice position. We say, no, 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 not so fast. Tell the whole story. And, let, and have enough respect for us who knew this woman to let us tell the whole story, too. And this is where we're going to separate the sincere from the insincere. If people really want to know, the, people who have a commitment to the truth and who have an open mind are going to see the, the whole truth because they'll listen. They'll listen to us. And also, they will challenge the makers of this documentary to tell us the full story. As I said before, show us the unedited footage and tell us the whole story of what happened before, <laughs> before during, and after. So when the cameras were off, because we knew her when the cameras were off. And, and uh, let's see how our stories mesh then. So it's not a comparison of what we're saying, okay, versus – see, here, here's the danger we face in the coming days. This is not a, 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 a contest between what we're saying and what she says in a little uh, 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 few segments of video. It's got to be a comparison between what we're saying and the totality of what the makers of this documentary said and experienced both on and off camera. We're willing to be completely transparent about what we knew about Norma. Let these people be equally transparent about the little segment of her life where they intersected with her. They weren't there in 1995 and 1996 and 1997. They weren't there in the early 2000s when she was, you know, going through Rachel's age. They weren't there for any of that. And this is where, you know, a, a little bit of honesty, integrity, and respect for those who knew her would be in order here. I agree, Father. What do you think Norma would say, like, in response to this? If Norma were here, have you, I've imagined it. You know, Norma, I never told her this. I wish yeah. I would have told her this. My grandmother was my best friend, and it's kind of hard watching this documentary. But she looks like my grandmother, and she acts like my grandmother. And seeing some of these videos, the, the clips, it reminds me of my grandmother's last days with the tubes in her nose and all that. But so I've been, yeah. I've been trying to imagine, well, I haven't even had to try, like just images of how Norma would respond to this have filled my mind, and it makes me smile. How yeah. do you think Norma would have it, responded it, it, to this? A couple of ways. There would have been, 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 been two reactions. There would have been anger because she really, you know, there were a lot of film documentary projects that, you know, she would come to me and, and, and uh, tell me about these projects. And sometimes she would say, you know, Father, I, I, uh, I just don't trust these, these people. And, uh, you know, sometimes she thought the people that were interviewing her were pro-life. And, and, you know, they turned out to be pro-abortion. They had an agenda. She didn't like people with agendas. And, um, and, and, and I saw her turn down big money uh, for, for, for uh, documentary projects that she just didn't believe in. And, and, and she just didn't want to be involved in. So she would be angry, first of all. But, you know, then she would be sarcastic. And she would say, like, like for example, when she spoke about the, the leaders in the, in the, in the uh, pro-choice movement, there was a story she told, we always laughed about it, where we, we called them the cast of characters. The, the, all those leaders, you know, at the time, Patricia Ireland and Eleanor Schmiel and, and uh, um, who was it in the heading up Planned Parenthood, Gloria Felt, and all these people. So uh, Norma would say, uh, yes, you know, in those years, you know, they had me on this, uh, these panels. You know, we would go to Congress and we'd have these testimonies and these hearings. 
And, you know, and so one day, you know, all these pro-abortion women, they were leaders, they were together, they were sitting next to me, and they introduced themselves one by one to the Senate committee. And she said, when it came to me, I said, well, yes, good afternoon. I'm Norman McCorvey. I'm the Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade. These other ladies, they just wish they were. And, and you know, <laughs> and there was this, there was this, and it was mutual. There was this certain amount of disdain between Norma and the leaders of the pro-abortion movement. Because you know what? They didn't care about her. They felt like she was a nuisance. All they needed was her signature, and they got it on that affidavit to start the case. That's all they really needed from her. And so there was a tension there. Um, and Norma would be look. When Norma would kind of look at a situation like this and say, "You know, here they. I could just hear her say, like, here they go again. You know, and they're and they're. You know, they just want to. They want to be the row of Roe v. Wade. They want to redefine me. They want to redefine the story, and they, they want to rewrite the history. You know, and 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 uh, you know. So then this would be. You know, but what she, but but what she would also say is is something that she said to me and to and to. Um, our mutual friend and associate, Jana Morana, we talked to her on uh, on that very day that she died in February of 2017. Hey, by, by the way, were the, were the producers there, Father, that day? No. Yeah, was, no. was the abortion industry no. there? No. No, her friends were there. No, they weren't there. Her friends were there. Her friends. Her friends and her and her family. And uh, Norma said, you got to make, you, I, I got to make you promise. You're going to carry on this cause. And and the and the statement, the public statement of her family on the day that she died, you see, this is where people have to understand the pieces of the puzzle do not fit if somebody thinks that this was a whole big act. Because the, the not only that, those things that she was saying, because not only on the day she died, but all the days leading up to it, the March for Life that year in January, the month before she died, she told me, Father, when you speak at the march, you know, tell the young people to carry forward this cause, et cetera, et cetera. But it was the uh, the statement, uh, and I have, uh, by the way, all these different statements and other things, uh, uh, video and, and interviews with her and the, her uh, the confirmation mass and everything. Uh, on our site, on priestforlife.org, we have a Norma page. So priestforlife.org slash Norma, people can find all this. The statement that her family made, I helped them to, to uh, craft it and then helped them to publicize it. But in that statement, it said, Norma worked her whole life to to, to reverse the tragic decision that she was part of. Now, if she was making all this up, which first of all is impossible and secondly is completely contrary to our experience, but putting that aside, if, if she had made all this up, so we, are we saying her family didn't know or that they were part, they were colluding with her and making it up? Why would the family permit their public statement on the day of her death to reflect her unwavering commitment to reverse Roe versus Wade. Why, why would they allow that? And yet they did. I, I, was, I was helping them, but the statement was theirs. They, they had to approve every word. So something, you know, people have to, again, those that have goodwill and have an open mind and are smart are going to take a step back and say, wait a second. You know, this doesn't, this doesn't hold. Yeah, even if you disagree with us on the abortion issue, I think that, like I said, the basic human decency is is to respect people and their death. And um, you you would have to want to hear from her friends. Yes, can you, you have to. Can you, can, Honestly, yeah. for those of you, for those people listening who, who didn't know Norma personally, how what, what would you want to tell them about Norma? If I were to ask you, tell me about Norma McCorvey, what would you say? I don't think I ever had a 
conversation with her, during which at some point we didn't end up laughing. That was a, a beautiful side of her of her personality. She knew how to laugh. She had a sense of humor. And um, it wasn't hard at all. Even when she would call me in distress and, and, and there'd be and she reached she had some big distress. To learn to laugh is a lesson she gives to all of us. Again, whatever our positions might be. She saw the humor in things. She could she could laugh at situations. So, you know, she came to my uh, the Uni Franciscan University of Steubenville gave me an honorary doctorate uh, in 2002. I had Norma come with me there to Steubenville together with Sandra Kano, who was also pro life, and she was the doe. Oh, I the miss Mary her too. Of, yeah, she was. She was. She was another yeah, exactly. very funny woman, right? Just always make you laugh. Oh. She was hilarious, and and the, so the two of them, of course, became friends, and as as the plaintiffs in these in these twin cases, um, and so we're driving out to Steubenville, and you know you go there in the rural Pennsylvania, and and uh, as you go in as you go towards the the border of Ohio, and you know you sometimes you see uh, cattle out on the uh, grazing on the fields and whatnot, and so we were in the car, and and. Uh, uh, and, and I said, oh, yeah, look over there. Look at those creatures over there. And, you know, <laughs> Norma said, well, father, those are cattle. Why are you calling them creatures? And that became a joke for years and years. So she would text me or call me. Hey, father, you see any creatures today? And, you know, and then she had this, <laughs> this contagious laugh. It was such a contagious laugh. Uh, it was beautiful. That was one of the just the fun, fun things about her that we always remember. Yeah, and then maybe just I think if someone's listening and they have any doubts, uh, I, I maybe want to mm. end on this. Why can you explain? Sum it up for, for people who are like ah no she was she was fooling them. Why can you explain why we all who knew her could perfectly believe she said what she said to the documentarians, and and shrug it off? Because I think there are probably some people still listening who are like oh no she tricked them. They don't want to admit they're duped. Why did all of us who hear this, who knew her, laughed initially? You know, it was like, of course she said that. Yes. Um, well, the reason, yes, and the reason can be explained very, very simply. Those who don't know her, those who never met her, all they're seeing are those words or those conversations mm -hmm. on the tape. We know that she was for real because we experienced everything that came before and after. We were with her off camera and that makes all the difference in the world mm. we knew that she would say like she would say i i don't want to have anything to do with you anymore don't call me anymore. i hate you i <laughs> yeah. hate this movement i i hate god i don't believe in god anymore you know and we knew that she was venting why because yeah. we were with her the next day and the day after that and the day after that and we saw her struggling the week after that and the year after that we walked the journey with her for almost a quarter of a century so don't tell us in this conversation and that conversation erases everything that we knew. Uh, it, it, it doesn't because you know what? Some people are like that. Maybe you have some people in your own lives, those of you that are listening, that, you know, they can say they can have they have a dramatic flair. <laughs> and they, in fact, I was talking, Jason, with another reporter just yesterday who said, hey, you know, there's a, you get you get me on the right day in my marriage and my wife will say similar things, too. You know, and you know, people who are married know this. And people, yeah, I mean, we we. We, when we get frustrated or when we get depressed, you know, I mean, we can say things that are com like completely, we throw our whole lives out the window, you know, and then um, to know where a person lands, to know what their core, solid, stable beliefs really are, what you need is one thing, 
that this documentary does not provide, and that is the perspective of time. Time. We spent the time with her. Nick did not. None of these other people did. And, and that's, why we know, that's why we're so certain about what we're saying. Well, Father, I thank you for being her friend and being a friend to so many of us in the movement. I remember in 2000, you won't, you won't remember this, but I remember this. It was 2000 at the March for Life. And you were um, in a car going one direction. And I was walking the other. And you looked out the window and you said, hey, Jason. And I was like, Father Frank Pavone knows my name. <laughs> it was a big day for me. <laughs> Father Frank Pavone knows my name. And, and well, and, so, well, I, I'm always inspired by the work that you've done over the years, and thank you for it, and keep it up. Well, you you inspire me, Father, and the greatest gift. I'm a, in a men's group, and today we were we were talking about putting value in relationships above all things. And I know that I'm the richest man in the world because I, for over 30 years, been a part of this movement when it was very unpopular. Like when Norma had her quote-unquote fake conversion, we were a very unpopular movement in this country. Now I think it's mainstream. Now I say I'm pro-life so people like me. But when Norma entered entered the movement, it was not like you were joining the popular club, you know? And so... Hey, it was the Bill, it was the Bill Clinton years. Yeah. No, I was in college, an atheist. I was running the Ayn Rand Objectivist Club and founded the Pro-Life Student Union. And the FBI began calling my mother, asking about yeah. my travel plans. I'm like, I'm an atheist what- boy in college behaving as an atheist boy in college behaves, except for I started a pro-life club. And so this was, those, were, those were strange years. And so you meet these people, and there's, we're like a movement that, the people we serve never thank us, right? Like preborn children, generally, maybe through my right. movies, I get to meet kids who are like, hey, I'm alive because of you. But most of us aren't having people walk up to us saying, thank you for fighting for my rights. You know, they're in the womb. And by the time they're old enough to thank you, they don't even know you're fighting for them. So it's not something you do uh, to virtue signal this cause. It's no. not something you no. do for That's laurels right. and to be celebrated. So what en- ends up happening is that it attracts just very noble, beautiful people. And I'm just grateful for all of these friendships. And Norma McCorvey was someone who I genuinely loved. We meet so many people, we can't have close relationships with all of them. But she was someone I met who I genuinely loved. And I know how important you were to her. And so just to see it being misrepresented on for the world to see. But again, I guess this is just another opportunity for us uh, to develop humility and charity and thoughtfulness. And, uh, yeah, maybe this is this kind of stuff in the media is what makes our movement so special, maybe. You know, along those lines, it's an opportunity, A, for people to get to know Norma, because a lot of pro-life people still don't know that she converted again and turned against Roe v. Wade. And, B, to realize what Roe v. Wade is. And most people still don't understand Roe v. Wade. And then this is what Norma rejected and always rejected – that it allows abortion throughout pregnancy. Healthy baby, healthy mother, seventh, eighth, ninth month of pregnancy. Roe v. Wade does not in, uh, abolish that, does not prohibit that, does not protect that baby. And, and so when people learn the extremism of it, you know, it's hard to get the message out. This can be, we can turn this around into a moment when people say, wow, is that what Roe v. Wade really says? Uh, and uh, we need to use that opportunity. 
Well, Father, I'm going to do my best to tell the world who, who the Norman McCorvey I knew was, who my friend Norman was, and uh, I know you'll be out there telling the world. So thank you for taking time uh, to join my podcast. How do people support Priests for Life? Uh, and, and I'll put it all in the show notes too, but are there any projects or oh, well, initiatives you have going right now you really want to point people to? Yes, yes, uh, very much so. Uh, we help people to spread the good news, and we help churches in particular the good news about the alternatives to abortion. And so we've got a, we've got a site called prolife.church, prolife.church. It's got all kinds of projects, Jason, you and I have talked about this over the years, where pastors can, can uh, spread the good news about alternatives to abortion and various other projects there that you and your church can, 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 en- can engage in. So prolife.church for those specific projects. And then our overall website is simply endabortion. Father, those will be in the show notes. And, you know, if if your church isn't working to defend the vulnerable child in the womb and her mother from the violence of abortion, your church isn't doing its job. From the Didache, the oldest extant Christian writing that stands up against abortion, to the early Christians rescuing children off exposure walls, it is our longest, it it is the longest tradition of social action of the church from the first century until today. So prolife.church. I'm going there. Thank you, Father Frank Pavone. Amen. Great to be with you, Jason. God bless you. Aloha. All right, everybody. This has been a very special episode of the Jason Jones Show with my hero, Father Frank Pavone, talking about our shared hero, Norma McCorvey. I'm not even, you know, I'm going to probably have to watch this show so I can write about it. I don't know if people should watch it, but, but really find out who the real Norma McCorvey was, a young woman who had to carry on the weight of her shoulders something that really she had nothing to do with making happen. And this produced, like a lot of my heroes, like Hannah Arendt and Eric Vogelin and others who young people had to carry immense suffering, Malcolm X, it produces very unique, very beautiful people. And Norma McCorvey was one of the most beautiful human beings I have ever had the privilege to know. And I hope people find out who she really was This has been another episode of the Jason Jones Show. Give us five stars. Write a review. Thanks to you. We cracked the top 100 podcasts on Chartable last week. Now I'm I'm ambitious. I want to crack the top 50. I can only do it. I can only do that with you. Until tomorrow. Aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh,